You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. Dear Upland Brits and the Upland Rookie Podcast, while I will attempt to keep this brief, no promises. My first memories of upland hunting were with my dad and grandpa in northwest Kansas. I remember tagging along before I could even carry a shotgun. I remember I was really the bird dog at the time. I was an extra set of legs between a couple of guns to cover more area, and if a rooster got up, I had to be steady to flush and shot. But when the bird went down, the chase was on. I even remember chasing a wounded rooster through a winter wheat field. I am sure it was quite the sight. I hunted pheasant in northwest Kansas through high school before leaving for Nebraska for college. I hunted a couple of times during college with the future father-in-law. He even mounted the first pheasant we shot together. He had two girls, so it was a special moment for both of us. However, between college wrestling and later raising young kids, I didn't hunt much for about 15 years. Once my son started to show interest in hunting, and after he completed hunter safety, we started going out a few times. After a successful youth weekend, pheasant weekend, my son was hooked and I was back to chasing upland. At first, it was just my son and I walking around public lands in central Nebraska. One day, I decided to start training my golden doodle, Finley, just to see what interest he might have. He was successful with tracking scent and had a great recall, so off to the fields we went. We had a successful first weekend with a couple of good flushes while there were a fair share of misses. We were also able to harvest a pheasant and a couple quail. While Finley loved to be in the field, I could tell it was a... uh, a glorified walk for him and if we came across a pheasant he would track and flush but his desire just wasn't there needless to say his desire didn't meet my desire after some persuasion my wife allowed me to start looking for a Brittany I handed a I happened across a one-year-old female at a local humane society a story for another day but unfortunately that did not work out However, now the whole family was ready for a Brittany and the search intensified. I was able to find a male Brittany puppy in western Nebraska this lit, this last December. I have successfully completed gun, intru- gun introduction bird intro with Murphy. Last spring, we spent some time in the field and Murphy was even able to flush a couple pheasant on training ground. While having a Brittany puppy and training my own dog has been a learning curve, I look forward to the bird dog he is becoming. While I know I may run the the two dogs separately for at least the first year, I hope to have Finley by my side with Murphy while, while Murphy works the field in a few years. Thanks for the opportunity to share my story. Love the Upland Rookie Podcast. It was just what I needed as I resonated my Upland's journey and bird dog training. 
Well, you just heard a story from my good friend, Bryce Abbey. Bryce wrote in uh, just sharing his Upland story, and I couldn't be more excited. Bryce, thanks so much for taking the time writing, writing that down. Um, really love getting to um, just hear a little bit more insight on what got you started, how, how it happened for you, because every one of us has a unique story just like that. It was uh, a bird dog, a father-in-law, uh, a move across country or something to that degree that really pushed us uh, over the edge to get us into the uplands and keep chasing these birds. So thank you again. Guys, on that note, don't forget the Dakota 283 giveaway closes on July 30th, 2021. Uh, I'm partnering up with Dakota 283 Kennels. Uh, just a reminder that they are giving, uh, letting me give away uh, to one lucky winner of the podcast or a listener of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, a Dakota G3 medium kennel with Dakota Guard, as well as a, a dine and dash or a dash watering system. Uh, guys, this is over a $500 value. All you have to do is find the Instagram post, the uh, Dakota 283 uh, kennel giveaway post on my Instagram account at the Upland Rookie Podcast. Uh, follow the instructions there. But you've heard the drill before. Probably if you want to get your name in the hat um, more times, uh, so that post that you find, that'll get your name in the hat once. Uh, bonus entries are, are writing in an Upland story. Uh, so email to me, uplandbrits at gmail.com, or you can message it to me on Instagram uh, at the Upland Rookie Podcast. Again, you only have a couple days. This podcast is releasing Tuesday, July 27th. So just a couple days to get your stories in. All entries will close on July 30th. So don't forget, guys, this is a great giveaway. Thank you again to Dakota283. I also want to thank my sponsor, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get everything your dog's got, then you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. Also, a special thanks to my affiliates, Cable Gangs, as well as Dakota 283. Dakota 283, use my promo code if you are going to buy anything off their website. It is TUR10. It'll save you 10% on your next order with Dakota 283. Cable Gangs, when you hit up Brennan over at Cable Gangs on Instagram or Facebook, just mention the podcast and you're going to get a free item of your choice, either a tether or a 24-inch drop. So check them out and thank you to both of them. Next week, I actually have an exciting announcement. Uh, I have a new sponsor joining the podcast um, that I'm going to save for next week's episode. Uh, really excited about this partnership. Uh, it's a good buddy of mine, and I'm really, really thankful. Um, him and I have been talking for a little while, and next week will be the premiere episode of a brand new sponsor to the Upland Rookie Podcast. So uh, stay tuned for that. All right, what up, rookies? So now that we are through all the intros, the the sponsors, the uh, affiliates, um, which I thank them once again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, helping support this podcast. Uh, but we're gonna dive into the episode here very quickly. Um, get a long one for you today, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, did want to share a personal update uh, with you. You may have seen on uh, on uh, social media over the last week. 
um, the Upland Brits family did in, uh, welcome in another addition. So we, uh, we brought in a new uh, six-month-old American Brittany. Her name is Wynn. And, uh, man, she's been an amazing, amazing little dog so far. Um, really, really sweet-natured. Um, probably the, the calmest dog I've personally owned um around around this age uh in comparison wise and man she's great around the kids and the wife and just a really cuddly um very very people pleasing dog um so really really excited about when um i've gotten to see her develop since she was about eight or nine weeks old um my uh, my mentor picks up two puppies usually for, uh, as a stud fee service, and so he's been evaluating these two dogs. They're sisters, uh, Orange Win and White Win, and over the last several months, I've gotten to see them develop and really, really took a liking, uh, especially to White Win. Um, and I was second in line uh, behind another guy who was uh, who's going to take uh, the one that Jeff would uh, would sell. And last min- minute, um, the win fell into my lap. Um, the other person uh, just decided to wait. And Jeff called me up and said, Win is available. Would you like her? And uh, it was a, a quick and easy yes for me. Um, had the wife's blessing. The kids were all excited. So it was definitely leaning this way. Um, we were just waiting for that, that final, um, final call. And yeah, so Win is a part of our family. Um, and couldn't couldn't be happier. Had her out for the first time this past weekend. Actually, kind of honey behind her as my dog. <laughs> I've gotten to see her run a whole bunch over the last several months. But uh, man, she was she was pushing 150, 200 yards this past weekend, uh, just searching for for birds and and uh, handling really nice. You know, I'd, I'd give her a little. Uh, give a little holler and she'd come with me, you know, change directions. So, um, again, she's six months old, so she's, she's a little older. She's had a lot of this, uh, intro basic work done already. So, um, she's going to be ready to, uh, to hit the field September one, uh, with, uh, with, with the Upland Brits crew and, and, and this fall is going to be, um, even better. I'm just really, really excited, uh, for what this, this has. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really the update for me. Um, New puppies are always fun. It's always exciting. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you out there have picked up uh, new pups this year, heading into fall. Um, just a reminder: be kind to yourself. Be kind to the dog. Just take it easy. It's a first season, uh, even with with Win right now. Um, she is six months old. She's had a ton of ton of bird work done. Um, gun intro. We started about a month ago, actually. Um, before I took ownership. So she's, she's got some of the basics down, which is nice, but still she's going to be a puppy going into the first season. And just for anyone listening out there, who's got a puppy right now, just remember they are a puppy. Um, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to bust birds. Um, but they're going to have a blast if you let them just let them run, let them do their thing. Um, so, so don't, um, I shouldn't say don't have too much, too many expectations, I should say, have the right expectations going into the fall season with your dog. Um, if, if Set a goal of, hey, I want to see my dog puppy point one bird. That might be a realistic goal because they might bust a whole lot of them and, and do all sorts of crazy stuff. I know Gage's first season was, was a little bit like that. It was a little bit, you know, had some great success moments, but also had some moments where I was just getting frustrated. And, uh, so going into it with, with other dogs, it's all about what expectations you have on your dog. So 
all of this, is, all that to say, uh, set the right expectations. Don't make them too high. Um, again, they're a puppy. They're learning, and they're going to be such a better dog at the end of the season uh, from when they started. So, anyways, that's all I got for you today. Um, enjoy the episode. Uh, today's episode is with Anthony Farrow of Fetching Feathers. Um, I drove out to Anthony's kennel. A uh, few, well, gosh, about a month ago or so, uh, maybe a month and a half, and uh, sat down with him, uh, heard a little bit more about his story, um, but really dive into his kennel, what he's doing at Fetching Feathers, the kennel, and uh, we just catch up with Anthony, and I hope you enjoy this episode. How's that little cocker dog you got? He's the bomb. Is he? <laughs> Smartest dog I've ever trained. No way. By far. Wow. All, and I'm not talking about personal dogs. <laughs> okay. Just in general. I'm talking about every dog that goes to this kennel that Cocker no Spaniel has made life the easiest of any. No way. Just yeah. trainability. All of it. <laughs> he, he just gets it. He understands. He takes very little pressure in order to correct and to make the association with why the why the pressure is happening. And wow. How to fix it, and at one year old, you know, honoring points, and then you know, flushing, and my flushers are honoring his flush, and. Wow. That's um, awesome. He's just a really, really smart young man. How did you dive into that? This is actually a question for later, but I'm going to jump into it now. Yeah. How did you get into the aspect of training a, a flusher with a pointing dog? Like that In my brain, I'm still wrapping my head around pointing dogs. Yeah, sure. So to throw in a totally, like, one, and what's, how is that different, even, like, tr- the training-wise? Yeah, I, so I, um, I hunted over Rowdy's father, like, two years in a row, a dog named Samson. Okay. And I was just so impressed. And he worked with pointers, did the same deal. When he saw a pointer on point, he would sit. Shooters get in, in shooting position, release the dog to flush. And it was just like the next step in the dance. Um, I, I don't know how to put this. It's like, um, I don't know, I guess it's like from building, from, from learning to bake a cupcake and then moving to an, a whole cake. It's just idea of just like this natural progression and the next step of upland hunting and training. Um, it's a symphony. I mean, it's truly a dance when you're running pointers and flushers together because obviously got to have a pointer that's steady and that's going to go on point and then a pointer that's going to honor a flusher that comes in front of him and not break and then the flusher also obviously has to look at the pointer and sit so the shooter can get in range um and so i don't know just when we kind of started to make that transition and i saw samson hunt i knew how i wanted it to work for me and this is something that i obviously want to talk about a lot in this podcast when we talk about training is uh we live in this time where in america there's one way to do things Hmm. There's one way to believe. There's one way to train a dog. There's one way to skin a cat. There's one way to cast a fishing pole. This idea of if you don't do it this way, then who are you? And you're wrong. And God forbid you do it your own way and it's successful? Oh, hell no. Wait, you mean there's more than one way to train a dog? Right. So <laughs> Wait a second, what? <laughs> there's this idea, and that for me is like the big turn on in dog training is that. That's awesome. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we can go about achieving the same result. And that just because... I do it different than you or he does it different than her doesn't make anybody wrong it's just yeah. a preferred method and that's what works for you yeah have you have you tried different so-called methods out there there's the Smith method method there's the Hickox method mm-hmm. there's all these methods yeah have you like sampled different ones and found what works for you yeah you know what's funny is a lot of them are are, are very similar mm. um, and they call it a different name mm. okay so uh, and I won't say any names but there's people that call it trained retrieve. Mm. It is no different than force fetch. None. Sure. Zero. 
but we, again, name. it's the time that we live in. And oh my God, you're force fetching a dog. You're pinching it, whether it's an ear, you're doing the, t- the, the, the toe train, tie. Train retrieve. So they call it trained retrieve where he's working for me instead of me forcing him to do it. But if you watch a force fetch video and then press play on a train retrieve video, it is the exact same thing. The idea of association, right? I'm a Pavlov's theory of association. Bell salivation treat, right? Mm-hmm. It's all association and, and force fetching or train retrieve, the, the, it, the pressure is linear. I'm giving you pressure until you give me something that I'm sure. asking you to do. Once you do that, the pressure stops. So you're trained retrieving the dog or forcing the dog to fetch and when he fetches the pressure quits. Teaching the dog how to turn pressure off. It's the same thing. Same thing. Okay, same thing. It's a rabbit hole. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay, let's back up a, th- a quick second. Uh, give us a little overview. Uh, who are you and uh, put us on a map. Where, sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm Anthony Farrow, owner of uh, Fetching Feathers. I live just east of Denver, Colorado in a town called Bennett, just about 35 miles outside of Denver. Um, and I train dogs professionally and have a little apparel line to, to boot with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Very, I like it, <laughs> concise to the point. Did you always know you wanted to be a dog trainer? Absolutely not. Really? No. I promise you that if I would have known that I wanted to be a dog trainer, I would have skipped the the four year university that I turned into a five year <laughs> program. Okay. I would have I would have skipped that altogether. I had a passion for dogs, just like a lot of people sure. do. And, and and quite honestly, I'm not even sure that I would have identified my love and joy for dogs as a passion prior to me discovering that I wanted to be a dog trainer. Right? Okay. I was one of those people that joked about it, and you see the memes of like. Me at a me at a house party, and I'm sitting there by myself, and I want to talk about dogs, and nobody's around because nobody wants to talk <laughs> sure, about dogs. Sure, sure. So at the time, I didn't really, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put that as like I want to be a professional dog trainer. It was just like I like dogs, and I like to be around them. And most people are pretty surface level. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna be at this barbecue today, where's the dog at? <laughs> I'm gonna go play That's some me. fetch. That's me. I'm like, all right, show me your dog. I'm gonna go play some fetch. So uh, you know, I I didn't discover my true passion for upland dogs until college when I first got started and then uh, you know really I was just diving in and maybe just maybe I thought that I was an upland hunter or I was satisfied with where I was and the little training that I knew how to do to a dog and then um, you know I had that unfortunate tragedy with my house fire in 2018 and that was really um, the perpetual push downhill that made me say maybe you should pursue your passion as a career and it was an easy way for me to and, to and just at the just for timeline's sake at the point of the fire you you weren't training dogs professionally right you were i know you were hunting a lot and so were you you had another job on the side yeah sure so i sold heavy construction equipment as um, an outside sales rep and a key account manager for united rentals and sunbelt rentals um, and the funny thing was is that i was always able to parallel my love for dogs with my construction accounts uh, as i was able to take a, a lot of my general contractors out on hunts so my company oh. would say oh hey you know sure. you've got bird dogs you're entertaining gotcha. you know mr gc why don't you take these guys hunting for the weekend and so i was kind of already pairing gotcha. my nice. passion for dogs with my current miserable nine to five <laughs> but the miserable quote-unquote nine to five paid the bills well um and it gave me that status that for me at that time i desired and that i thought that i needed right so we have this idea of these like timelines that that life provides us so you go to high school and then you go to college and then after college you get a job because you've got debt and you're entering the workforce and somewhere between college and finding a job you meet a girl and then you're supposed to get married and have kids and have a family and there's always like this said 
timeline and step by step. And so for me growing up in the suburbs of Kansas City, I followed these timelines. Sure. And it took something like that house fire for me to wake up and say, hold on a minute. Maybe you want to diverge a bit. Maybe you want to be the white cow in a room full of black cows, Anthony. Like, don't just keep following the herd, sure. right? And and so it gave me the gumption uh, to to take the leap and say, you know what? While the nine to five is good and I'm successful and I have this position and a company truck and all these things that, from a status standpoint, I thought that I was doing well, but was probably the fuel of my unhappiness, you know. Sure. And so when I lost the pups, I had to had to take an internal look inside and say, all right, at that point I was 32 and I said, you're gonna live the same way you did the first 32 years of your life or you're gonna start completely over like your life is requiring you, right? So I have the outfit that I'm wearing and that's all I owned at that point, right? The day sure. after that fire. And uh, I just had this opportunity and this inner calling and this desire of wanting to do something else, do something different, be something great, grand, like to, to, to think about a dream of mine and it actually becoming real instead of just sitting around the campfire after a hunt with our boys saying, man, sure, it would be nice if we could do this for a living. Sure. <laughs> you, you just kind of took, took that and you're like, let's do that then. Yeah. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, I decided to go for it because I didn't have much to lose at that point. Right? <laughs> I lost it all. Sure. And, and by all, I'm not talking about the tangible things. I'm talking about the dogs. Sure. And that to me was was my purpose. That was that was why I got out of bed every day was because of my dogs. And that's why I exercised because of my dogs and had to get them out and I couldn't you know, for me dogs provide this opportunity where we don't get to be stagnant, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of the devil loves an idle hand. Well if you're a subpar dog owner, the devil's never gonna get to hold your hand because you gotta get up. Dogs mm -hmm. gotta get up and pee. Sure. So you can't sleep in. Even if you're depressed or having a bad day or or, or the, the life's anxieties were getting to you and you're like, ah, I'm gonna skip training today. Sure. And then you look at your dog's pacing and just looking at you and all smiles and you're like, okay, sure. I'm gonna get up, let's go, put my boots on, kick dirt, right? Yeah. And that's this, this idea of, of kicking dirt and obviously it has to do with work and it has to do with life and it has to do with your dogs. Sure. And, um, you know, I kick dirt for a lot of different reasons and it just so happens to be a, a good mantra for, yeah. for upland hunters for all the obvious reasons. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Put more miles on and keep right. going. Let's that's keep right. going. Um, just kind of an impromptu question came up as you were talking about that. Um, I think I can hear the passion in your voice and I, I've known you for a long time. Um, just how much you love those dogs that you lost. How, how hard is it for you to, do you constantly compare your new dogs you get to your old dogs? And, and how do you kind of bridge that gap of, no, this is a new set of dogs. This, these are individuals. Like, how do you kind of differentiate yeah. that? That's a really good question, actually. And I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. I don't know, I guess without comparing dogs to kids, which I do quite a bit, I think it's very similar in that, that like every kid is different. And, and just because we had one child that started walking at, I don't even know when kids start walking, sure. five months, six, when, when do kids One-ish, one-ish. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, so it's, I was way off. It's, it's, it's I was <laughs> six months off. We're expediting the I walking mean, process here. So well, it's, it's this idea actually, of right. just understanding that every dog and every kid yeah, is different. Good... And, and, and you're gonna notice that one dog is good at pointing where the other one might not progress the same. And so you're gonna have this idea of comparison like you're talking about. It's like, oh no, is my dog broken mm -hmm. or is he dumb? Or how come this dog's not learning as quick? And well, Gnarly already did this at six months sure. old. And well, Radar already won this title at eight months old, right? For me, it was really easy to not think about that. Um, and probably just because, you know, that tragedy really taught me how to be present. Hmm. I think that that's something that everybody really struggles with all the time 
is being present, right? So even when, when you and I are sitting right here, it's very easy for me not to be present because I know what I have to do when we're done with this. And I also know what I did before this, right? So my mind can even be sure. past tense, living with regret or remorse of dang, I shouldn't have done this or I should have tried this or I shouldn't have said that. Or thinking about, oh no, this is what I have to do tomorrow. It's just really easy for me now to wake up every morning. I got a kennel full of dogs. I don't care what you showed me yesterday. Today's a new day. We're going to be present today and we're going to try to do our best today. I'm not going to think about yesterday. I'm not going to think about tomorrow. Right here, right now, what can I make a difference with this dog? You know, I think to compound with all of that, yeah. I named my new dogs how my old dogs died. And that's that's that. why I did that, right? So Smoke and Fuego are litter mates. I bought them as true brothers to replace Gnarly and Radar that I lost. Um, and I did that on purpose. I don't want to forget about mm. that tragedy. Yeah. Um, it keeps me humble every day, you know? I, I didn't have any tattoos before the house fire and I have a half sleeve and it's all dedicated <laughs> to um, lessons that I learned in that and things that I want to continue to grow as myself as a, as a young man moving yeah. forward. Not only as a man, but a, as a dog trainer, as a friend, as a son, as a boyfriend, but all the relationships and titles that we each carry every day, I just, really am trying to become better at being present and the more present you are the easier it is not to do things like comparison from yeah. dog to dog and things yeah. of that nature it's awesome thanks yeah. man sounds like that that house fire really sounds like that was a huge huge shift in your life and thank you thanks for just being vulnerable and, sure. and sharing um kind of how that's just changed your yeah. kind of your mindset almost. unfortunately um you know i catch a lot of crud because um it happened in 2018 and here i am still talking about it and um, unfortunately, for the listeners that, that don't enjoy me or my story or are sick of hearing of that, unfortunately, that, that is my story. It's part of your story, yeah. And, 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 and from 2018 to now, I still do think about it every day. Sure. And it doesn't go away and it doesn't hurt any less. Yeah. Um, the difference is, is that we have two opportunities in life uh, with tragedy. We either allow it to shape us and make us better or we allow it to, to define us and hold us where we, where we were, stuck, yeah. right? So for me, it was just a, I took it so personal. It really, it, it, to the point that it angered me, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a, I'm a man of faith and, um, you know, and I'm not going to get too deep into this, but the book of Job um, really, really hit hard for me during that house fire. Um, and long and short, you know, Job was a faithful man, didn't waver. God took everything yeah. from him, his health, his life, his family, his animals, his property, everything dwindled and he never, ever wavered. Mm -hmm. And in return... Um, he gave Job everything that he desired times a billion. Mm. I mean, so this is idea of just not to waver and yeah. instead of like, you know, woe is me and why'd you do this and all the sorry, anger sorry that I wanted yourself. to feel, I said, I see you, yeah. I double down, I raise you, show me your cards. That's awesome. And I just, I didn't bluff, I didn't buckle and it, it has been and is the driving fuel to every reason that I get up every morning to train these dogs before the sun rises and to go to bed after the sun sets and to pursue this business, um, you know, to be self-employed, to run a ranch by yourself, to run a kennel by yourself. Um, it, it takes a lot of energy and gumption and sacrifice. Um, and I think that the only way that I'm going to be successful is to remember what we're talking about sure. now and how I got to, to do this, right? Because prior to this house fire, I was an outside sales rep. <laughs> Um, and it would have stayed that way if it didn't take something like that Radical. to drop me to my knees. And yeah. so um, in the strangest kind of way, I'm, I'm really thankful uh, for the lessons that, that that opportunity gave me. And, and I'm thankful for the step forward 
in the direction of me chasing my passion work, man. It's it's That's been awesome. such a blessing. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, heck yeah, man. Um, all right, moving on. You uh, you recently were in a little car accident, weren't you? Yeah, I was <laughs> with your with your dogs. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, really crazy. Yeah, dogs are okay, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, dogs were okay. And actually, this is I'm glad that you brought this up. And you're okay, I, obviously. <laughs> I am. I'm up right. Okay, good. Uh, I was just uh, leaving the girlfriend's house, um, you know. So I usually stay at her place on Wednesdays um, in town. And I was coming back Thursday morning uh, down the long stretch country road from uh, Denver to my place, and a gal rolled through a stop sign, and I guess just didn't see me rolling down the hill in a big white truck at 50 mile an hour. And so instead of me hitting her head on, I swerved hard left in the oncoming traffic, and she T-boned me, Oof. Um, and then sent me down a ravine and broke my front axle in half and all my airbags and everything went off and that was the lesson you know that I'm glad you brought up that yeah, I'd like you, to share with you, people yeah, yeah, share and that. I couldn't believe this and I never ever thought about this yeah. so I didn't have my dogs in the dog box I had them in the cab with me uh-huh. I kind of have this rule and, and I'm, I'm a 50-50 guy um, I hunt I train I do all of those things but my dogs are also my family so if I'm like running errands in town going to the gas station hitting up the bank my dogs are in the cab with me we're just bebopping around running errands if I'm going training, if I'm going camping, if I'm going hunting, they're always in the dog box in the back of the okay. truck. So anyways, we're just leaving Kate's house and it got totaled, all the airbags go off. I get out of the truck, leave my dogs in the cab. Obviously, we're at a site of a wreck. There's cars everywhere, traffic yeah, moving, yeah, didn't want the dogs around. At that point, yeah. Well, by the time that we got through with processing the police, getting the cars towed and out of the middle of the road, making sure that the other party was okay, uh, my girlfriend came and picked my dogs up and got them home and all of that. And the dogs are like hacking out of mm. nowhere, almost like kennel cough hacking, a real dry okay. heave. Well, the next thing I know, they're all throwing up like mm. white marshmallow puff. Oh, it was like the thickest white, like it was like marshmallow puff. That's wow. the best way that I could put it. And come to find out, they were inhaling all of the dust. And all of the chemicals and the combustion chemicals Jeez. that makes those airbags go off. Oh, gosh. That they ended up all getting sick and inhaling that stuff oh. and vomiting for like the next six hours after the oh, wreck. Jeez. Um, I called the vet, obviously, and they're like, well, there, there's not a whole lot. So as long as like respiratory-wise, sure. they're okay. You know, we don't need to give them oxygen. I said, okay. no, I think they're all right. All right. So I just kept, walk, just kept putting water in them, and they threw up for about six okay. hours oh, and well. then woke up the next day, and it was fine. So, guys... Driver in a wreck. <laughs> get your dogs out. Get your dog out of the vehicle so they're not Jeez. inhaling all of this nasty chemical. Yeah. You know, all, all it was like junk. a, it was like, essentially like baby baby powder with gunpowder residue. Yeah. You know, and that's something no one, no one would ever think about that. I mean, you're in a wreck. You're, you make sure you're okay. Other people are okay. Like that's that's just something I would never. Have First thing about. I did was look in the back seat. Yeah. You know, the boys are all right. Uh, uh, Fuego was in the front seat. Smoke and Rowdy were in the back. Yeah. Everybody seemed okay. I mean, they were all wide-eyed. Dude. Oh, yeah, Huge eyes. Like, they were like, whoa, Dad. What just took that turn a little hot, son? And I was like, my bad, guys. Yeah. I actually got hit by a 17-year-old girl yeah. on her phone. Not not Dad's fault this time. Oh, so that was a good gosh. lesson to learn, but we're okay. And, good, you good. know, obviously trucks can be replaced. And, yeah. and we've got insurance. And there's there's legal things in place for things like that. So sure. We're moving forward and just, yeah, that's just scary. thankful for our health. Yeah, that, that's scary for sure. Yeah, keep pushing. Absolutely. My, uh, this is another story. My my son put his hand under the lawnmower yesterday. I saw. I wasn't sure we were going to do this today. Yeah. I was like, oh, Yeah, no. it's it's still very... So it was a riding mower and it was on? Uh, no, push mower, uh, electric. And I think that was a saving grace also with God. 
um, it, it's not very powerful. So I think if it was if it was a gas mower, he would have probably lost just some fingers. But him. it was it was pretty nasty. So thankfully, he's, he's okay just now. fractured a couple fingers. Uh, a little sewed, bit of blood. Sewed them up. Oh yeah, quite a bit of blood. It's a lot of blood in my front seat because I, oh. I threw him in the front seat and just drove to the hospital. I bet and, your heart sunk, man. Yeah, oh yeah, it was it was rough. It was one of the one of the more scary things. And you said that you saw it happen and just couldn't. Oh yeah, just watching it in slow mo and just my wife and I were talking and couldn't couldn't stop it oh man i hate that it was rough it was rough lesson learned i bet he doesn't put his hand in the cookie jar again (laughs) exactly (laughs) hopefully i know he's easy he's our wild child yeah Yeah. um all right let's uh let's transition a little bit i want to get into training uh quite a bit here just real quick let's touch on um i know we talked a little bit in the beginning we weren't recording just on uh you added a flusher to the mix flusher is not something we talk about very often on the podcast or a lot of hunting podcasts it's all about pointers yeah which i love pointers i'm all about it's like like, it's about time thank goodness that pointers are getting their shine uh but throwing the flusher to the mix like this why did you choose to go with a flushing dog why didn't you pick up another gsp yeah for sure well i did actually pick up a gsp another one. Oh, you did um so oh, I, you have a, a pup coming yeah that's so right. i bred fuego that's right uh, so i'm always adding to the line you know i want to keep five to seven dogs on my string just for how much i hunt but um long and short i was able to hunt over my now flushing dog rowdy i hunted over his father a couple times out of texas um, a buddy of mine had him, and I got to see the, like the next step in the dance of upland hunting, if you will. Um, it was like going from the two-step to the cha-cha, and I was like, dude, I'm trying to be Danny Zook over here, man. Grease lightning in the house. Let's get these steps in. So I hunted over this Samson dog, and he was just so impressive. I, I couldn't, I could not believe what he was capable of, and the way that obviously he honored when I saw, you know, pointers go on point, and Samson saw it, and Samson sat, so we can get into shooting position, and then we release Samson, and he flushed, and it was just, it was really attractive to me. And as a dog trainer, and just me, and as a person individual, I like continuously testing myself and putting myself in uncomfortable situations, if you will. And I was like, I've never done this before. Let's give it a go. And because of what I do for a living and the network that I have, I figured if it didn't work out, I would have a started dog that was gun broke, that had obedience and house broke, that I could sell as a started dog if it was something that sure. didn't work for me or that I, I didn't enjoy or I wasn't excelling sure. at. So this this whole idea of having my my flusher essentially walk at heel while my pointer to two, three hundred yards out, yeah. and then I can sit my flusher whenever I wanted and have him honor the point. And then, you know, me going front, and then I, that was a big part of why I named him Rowdy, because mm. I just had this envision in my head of saying, get Rowdy. <laughs> nice. And so, essentially, I named him on what I wanted his flush command to <laughs> be. Awesome. And I was like, damn, get Rowdy sounds I pretty legit. That. I'm about this. I love that. So, I bought the little Rowdy man. Um, he just turned one years old. He's an English cocker. Oh, he's young. He's younger than I thought. Oh, okay. he just turned a year old in uh, May. Okay. So he's young, oh, young. Yeah. And so if he just turned a year old in May, I shot eight species over him in his first upland season no as, a, as a wild bird dog. Really? Which was unbelievable to experience. Wow. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, it a wasn't, very. It wasn't a good looking. Wasn't, yeah. It wasn't a good looking first season. <laughs> but but the kid's got a huge nose. Okay. He understands whistle commands and quartering and recall. So I didn't have him out running at eighty yards, just putting birds in the sky like a madman. I mean, it, we managed it pretty well. Sure. You know, now that we're in our second training season, he's 100% ready. He okay. sees the dogs on point now. He sits himself. Wow. He stays until I get up front. I tell him, get rowdy. He comes in, hits the scent cone, puts the birds up. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people with flushers are doing sit to flush. Okay. So pointers are steady to wing, shot, and fall. Flusher comes in, puts them up. Pointers stay. When the flusher puts the birds up, rowdy in this mindset is supposed to sit 
when the birds flush, I take my shot. I got my two pointers and my flusher now steady to wing and fall. They have their marks. Everybody releases for the retrieve. Okay. So, I don't know, it was uh, just so all dogs release for, for the retrieve? Again, this is something that we I, I, we, we could talk about, but there, there's not a right or wrong way sure. when you talk to me about training dogs, and, and there's a lot of different methods sure. and ways to go about it. So I think what you have to decide is what you want for you. Gotcha. Yes, I want my pointers to release at fall with my flusher. My dogs don't fight over a bird on who, you know, whoever gets the bird gets the bird. They okay. don't rip it out of each other's mouth and do yeah. all of that. And that's a big thing I hear sometimes. People are like, oh, I don't want the you know dogs fighting over the bird. Um, so that's just one of the things that... We don't have toys. We don't play tug of war growing up. They never get to take anything out of each other's that's mouths. Good. When I introduce new dogs, young dogs to older dogs, and we're all playing fetch together, the young dog gets corrected for trying to pull a mm. ball or okay. a bumper out of an older dog's mouth. I just set the tone from the beginning that that's sure. not behavior that we do. That's good. We honor the retrieve. Whoever's got it's got it, and that's the way it is. And so, you know, it's funny with Rowdy, him being so small, we joke and I say, we don't use the S word or the L word in this house. We don't use small or little. Hmm. Okay, we don't tell him that he's small or little. He doesn't know that he's small or little. He doesn't <laughs> act that way. But in return, there's the other the other side of the sword. And that is, is that if you want to be small or little and you want to be treated like one of the big dogs, when the shit hits the fan, I'm not bailing you out. Hmm. So what that means is, is that when the snowstorm comes in in Kansas and we're hunting roosters huh. in, in January... Yeah. I'm not going back to the truck because you're small. When we're, <laughs> you're when going we're hit, out there with When us. we're hitting Kansas snow drifts and you hit some of those spots that are knee or waist high, you're going to have to learn how to work through this. I'm not bailing you out, right? Yeah. And so for me, um, we've we've set an expectation at the beginning, you know, and I, I, I often, you know, obviously Rowdy can't talk to me, but he does. <laughs> and he doesn't want to be small or little. And he wants to run with the big dogs. and He wants to be treated the same. And he wants sure. to stay down in the kennel with all the other dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, so the expectation is the same yeah. and, and it's worked out really, really well. So going into our second hunting season, I couldn't be more excited to have a little bit more uh, finely tuned flusher pointer combo. That's, that's going to be a sick combo. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Run, uh, run people through briefly. I won't spend too much time, but just briefly, um, how, how do you get to that point of running them in a hunting situation together? Is it, my guess is you're training the dog separately. You're training your pointers, you're training your uh, flusher. Then you meld them together. Is that, is that it? That's exactly how we do it. And it really starts with the, the pointer. Uh, the pointer's got to be 100% steady mm -hmm. for this to happen. Otherwise, you're going to have absolute chaos. Sure. Because then you've, you've spent all this time teaching this pointer, and most people are just steady to flush. When the bird gets up, most people are comfortable with their dog breaking once the birds are flying. Oftentimes, you're taking shots over the top of your dog, but a lot of them are safe shots. Sure. We all know what shots yeah. we can take and what we can't. But this is also why every once in a while you hear about a dog being shot. Sure. Because somebody thought they could take a shot that they shouldn't. So for my, my standard program for my kennel is steady to wing, release it shot. I, what what No matter what the client wants, unless they want more than that. If that's they, your, want, that's your if they want wing and shot and fall or whatever the case may be, release to a head tap. I got to walk all the way to that dog to release him. That's fine. My standard program is that if a gun doesn't go off, you don't take steps as a pointer. Okay. Um, and we start that at the beginning. So once my pointer is essentially collar conditioned to well, to where I know you're not gonna take any steps if I don't take a shot, right? So then I bring my pointer in, he goes on point, I walk out in front and I do all the obnoxious kicking and brush moving <laughs> yeah, and hat flapping, really pushing that dog to failure, trying to get that dog to move so we can apply e-collar pressure to remind them absolutely not, sure. no steps. Once our pointers are solid, then we're gonna bring the flusher into the mix. So then that way when our flusher goes in front, our flusher and our pointers aren't doing the flushing together. Okay. I think for me and any dog trainer, whether you're doing a flusher, 
or a, a pointer by itself or a pointer with a flusher is we do not shoot birds that are not handled correctly by the dogs. Mm. So let's say I've got smoke on point and I got Rowdy doing the flushing. Rowdy comes in, finds the bird and puts the bird up and then smoke kind of cheats a little bit and breaks as that bird goes or before he goes with Rowdy because the, the pressure of the other dog, he's like, absolutely not. I'm on point. That's my bird. Sure. So if that happens, that bird's going to get flushed and I'm not shooting the bird and the dogs are not allowed to chase. Okay. So like if we're using homing pigeons, the reward in that scenario is the chase and the cat fire gunshot. Okay. That's a reward. If you do not hold your birds correctly, you do not get the chase. So you're going to get tones on the collar followed by momentary shocks to pull you off that bird. Sure. And I'm also not going to shoot to remind you that's not what I wanted. So Let's go do it so you're again. You're giving them no, nothing. They're like, "Well, shit, I didn't get nothing. A, I didn't get a you get shocked. Pistol. You get shocked for shocked. chasing, low level for recall, yeah. and you don't get the pistol shot. We recall. We come back to heal, focus ourselves, release for the next bird, go right. again. Right. Yeah. So the pointer's got to be steady. The hard, the hard part on the flushing aspect is you've got to be able to teach your flusher at the beginning to sit and to stay upon either a single whistle or a quick command hmm. because he's got to be able to sit because with the flusher, you got a pointer out at 80 yards. Yeah. Well, my Cocker Spaniel knows what a point means now. And so when I started this transition, when he saw smoke on point, bird gets up at 80 yards. And I was like, well, shit. Well, not even close. <laughs> Didn't get to shoot at that one, right? Yeah. So at that point, I transitioned Rowdy into teaching him that continuous pressure meant to sit. Oh, okay. And that meant whether he was at 100 yards or whether that he was at heel. So smoke would go on point. Rowdy would see smoke on point and try to beeline it at, at smoke. He gets continuous pressure and a single whistle. Pop! With oh. continuous shock. As soon as Rowdy sits, the shocking stops. Okay. So I taught Rowdy the association of a single whistle means sit. Hmm. And if you don't sit at a single whistle, you get pressure. So much like bark collars these days. Sure. Bark collars now have tones, beeps on them. Kind of a pre-warning. Association. Ivan Pavlov's theory of the association. Bell salivation treat, okay? So the, the, the association is the same across the board. Yeah. It might not just be a treat. The treat in this aspect is turning pressure off. Mm. So the dog bark, 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 beep. If you bark again, it's gonna shock you. Bark, bark, ow, ow, ow. Sure. Bark, 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 beep. Uh, last time I barked after the beep, I got hit. I might hold off this time. Then they create the association themselves wow. of barking followed by a tone means pressure. How do I make the pressure stop before it happens? I'm gonna quit barking. Okay. All of my training is teaching dogs how to stop pressure before it happens or turning pressure off while it's happening. Sure. So most of my training is, it's a, it's a weird concept, but the dogs are training themselves. Oh, sure. The dogs are teaching themselves either number one, how to achieve a reward. Right. So in positive pigeon, right? Moving the bird in hand in order to get the bird to flush, you have to stop and stand. Mm. That's why dogs associate stopping and standing with the flush is because they know I want to chase this bird. I better stop and stand it so he'll release it. If I want to go flush this bird for my dad, I better sit down so he can get in front because every time mm -hmm. I go flush when he's behind me, I get shocked and I get recalled. The bird that flies away, I don't get a gunshot, I don't get the chase, and the bird doesn't fall out of the sky. Yeah. So we have to wow. start to create these essentially neuropathways. Sure. I'm a creating a neural pathway of association. Right. And, and don't we all learn better when we figure it out ourselves, mm -hmm. when a dog figures out how to either, like you said, turn off or mm -hmm. avoid. The hand in the cookie jar idea. Sure. You put your hand in the cookie jar, your hand gets slapped. Yep. <laughs> You're not supposed to have a cookie until after dinner. 
well, how the hell do I get this cookie? Well, I ate all my vegetables. Damn, Dad, let me get a cookie this time. Association. Yeah. Cookie jar idea. It is the exact same thing for humans. It's the same way that we're raising our young kids. Mm-hmm. Of You get a happy plate, you get a pudding cup. Yep. <laughs> it's the same Simple thing. Concept. Association. Yeah. Exactly. How do you get dessert? I have to do a certain deal. I have to sure. clean my room if I want allowance. Sure. Association. How do I get money from Dad's pocket? I clean my room. Yeah. I mow the lawn. It's the exact same concept. That's we brilliant. create association. I love that. Um, okay, real quick thoughts. What are your thoughts on, so, you know, there are guys that have their dogs steady to wing shot fall, tap on release, or release on the on the fall. Like, what are your thoughts on that in a practical hunting situation? Just, I know pheasants may be different than sharpies, mm-hmm. et cetera, but just kind of like in general, is it doable if you have your dog completely steady to a, a release or something mm-hmm. like that? There's a lot of schools of thought on on this idea and this concept um, again i'm going to go to there's no wrong way it's how you want it's how you hunt um, are you a 70 year old man and you're a bit slower to catch up to your dog so you need a dog that's completely broke or are you a young energetic young 20 year old that's running and gunning and and you're in bird rich environment so you can gun a little bit harder and not worry about maybe not having that opportunity because you're going to have more um, there's, there's no right or wrong answer for that. I think that to answer the question to start, it's your personal preference. Okay. What I see a lot is a dog that's just steady to wing and releases it flush. To me, anybody can train sure. and is not really a trained dog in my opinion. To a point. Sure. To get a dog to point is training. And to get a dog to stand still and let you get all the way in front is training. So... I'm not knocking anybody down that's got a dog that's steady to wing. I'm not saying that you're not a trainer. You're not legit. But it is fairly easy. I can achieve a dog steady to wing that releases it flush in a 30-day program. Sure. That's just giving a dog four or five birds a day for six days a week. And in a month, I've got a dog that understands. Sure. Stand want, still. <laughs> I'm going to stay in this until I get the flush, right? Um, guys that are wing, shot, fall, release at fall, release at shot, you're going to notice a few things. Number one, your shooting accuracy is going to go up, hmm. okay? Because you're not worried about, oh man, is my dog going to break? I got to hurry up and get there. I got to hurry up and get there. My dog's not steady. Okay. So we're walking faster. Our heart rate's up. Our mind is thinking, is my dog going to flush? Dog going to flush? <laughs> oh no, my dog likes to get out in front. Those are low flying birds. I'm chasing quail. Do I take this shot? Don't I? There's so many different levels and, and distractions and things that you're thinking about when you don't have that dog that's a little bit further along in the steadiness. So the flush is surprising to you because you're not really quite ready. A lot of guys also don't walk in on a dog on point on what I refer to as a three-quarter draw. Essentially, Mm -hmm. the butt of your gun is under your armpit at a three-quarter draw. So when those birds get up, it's a quick flick of up into the shoulder, swing and shoot. Um, The other thing that you're going to notice outside of your shooting accuracy is going to go up because your dog is steady so you're more calm you're going out in front and you're you're ready for the flush sure. because you're not focused on whoa 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 hey whoa whoa listen i'm going to talk about this real quick i'm going to digress <laughs> if your dog is taking steps and you keep saying whoa you're giving the dog the association that whoa means uh-huh. to take steps okay so when we teach a dog sit and the dog sits down do you keep saying sit sit Sit. Well, some people do. Sit. 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 No. When the dog sits, we stop saying sit. When the dog is on point, shut up. He's already woed. Sure. Right? And if you're whoa, whoa, whoa in your dog on wild birds, you didn't spend enough time in the off season working because right now so we've got a dog taking steps and you're teaching a dog that whoa means take steps, right? Okay. So that's that idea that if your dog goes on point 
and he flushes the bird and you shoot the bird, you just created a neural pathway that you want your pointer to be a flusher because mm -hmm. you gave him the reward sure. for flushing the bird and shooting it. This is the hard part for a lot of hunters. Yeah is that you're wild bird hunting. You get you're so putting excited. all these miles in. Yeah. My dog's finally on point on a wild bird. He can't handle it. He flushes it and you shoot it and you're all hooting and hollering and high-fiving and all I saw was you just taught your your pointer to be a flush. <laughs> flush. So real quick with that, so your your dog goes on point. Are you, are you gonna say whoa once to get him to be steady or does he know when he finds a bird, he's not moving? When a dog hits the scent cone, if trained correctly, we don't talk. Okay. Um, and I definitely avoid talking altogether in that my talking is going to come through collar pressure because I'm a dog trainer. So if anything, I'm going to give my dog what I would call a proactive Nick rather than a reactive Nick. Oh, okay. okay. So if I've got a young dog that is not steady and I know that he's not hundred percent steady as I'm coming in on point, I'm going to give him one or two small Nicks, Nick, Nick. And I'm not even going to say, whoa. My dog has already knows the association that on point nicks mean don't move. Okay. So I'm going to be a proactive. Gotcha. My dog's been I, out of the gate hot today. Before, yeah. And a lot of people say, well, you're shocking your dog and he's on point and he's going to associate that he's on point and you're shocking him. He's doing something wrong. If you created the wrong neuro pathway and association sure. of pressure, yeah, it's all you're you right. set it up. It's, you're 100% yeah. right that my dog is going to think that he's doing something wrong right. on point. Like if I did that to my dog right now, he'd be like, what the heck? If the I give them low level, low right. level stimulation as I'm coming in on point as just a nick nick. He's going to know, no steps, that's serious, gotcha. he's coming in, okay. I'm going to hold my bird for him, and I'm going to go, right? So is the other version, like we talked about, there's multiple ways to do this, is the other version, some guys will just say, do a verbal, whoa, and then you're just replacing it with a I, low level. Agreed, but here's what I know. As a young man, and my dad just said, Anthony, quit, I heard it, but I didn't hear it. Hmm. But if my dad said, Anthony, quit, and he thumped me on the head real quick, a little, a little, just I a little thump, just yeah. flicked me on the head when yeah. he said my name, Anthony, flick. It made me think twice of, gotcha. uh, dad ain't playing. Gotcha. He said it, and I got a little pressure. I'm going to stand here. Okay. Right? Yeah. It was this idea of, of the, you know, the, I, I use this a lot, the kid at the checkout line, and that's where they get the little kids, the toys and the lighters and the color and the candies sure. and everything right there, the sodas. It's all right there. Anthony quit touching stuff. Anthony put the magazine down. He may have told me four or five times, but that one time he said it, he gave me a little thump, yeah. a little nick. It's gonna, it's gonna stick a little. I was more. like, I'm gonna put this magazine back down and stand next to this car. My bad, Dad. So love it. I, I know I digress. Let me get back no, to where good, we were. Um, so we're, our shooting accuracy is gonna go up if yep. we have a steadier dog. Um, and here's the other part that really, really that people don't think about is that you're retrieving and your marking of the dog gets better mm. if your dog is steady to at least fall. So the, the shot goes off and then he releases. He's standing back behind you. He's seeing everything that's going on. It's essentially being the, the line judge yeah. as a, uh, in the NFL. Way better. I can see the whole field of view. I'm watching everything from the back. I see the routes being ran. I can see the bird being dropped. I've got a nice solid mark. So your shooting accuracy goes up. Your bird contacts go up because your dog is steady and your dog's retrieving and marking become a lot better yeah. and more efficient. I never thought of that. Because instead of Think about how many times you get a covey rise and the bird you shoot is not the bird that your dog's looking at mm. because there's huh. five, six, seven birds. Sure. So you took the one to the left because you got your buddy to your right. So you're shooting lanes left, but five of the six birds went right. So your dog mm. is focused on the five birds that went right. You took the one on the left because of your shooting lane and now your dog has no mark and any idea where your bird is, which makes you have to have a visual mark of somewhere by this bush, yeah. this tuft of grass, this stick. Yeah, this general Now area. tell me how many times that you marked a bird and that bird was 30 yards past your mark. Oh, almost every one. <laughs> I want my dog 
to wait and see the bird falling out of the sky. Here's the deal. I got, let's do the same scenario. Six birds get up, five went right, one lift left, went left. If my dog is steady to wing and releases that shot and he's standing behind me, when that shot goes off, he's gonna, he's gonna see the uh, one that yeah, falls yeah. out of the sky because he is now viewing sure. as a whole. Wide lens, right? The fisheye lens. He's he's using his GoPro yeah. lens. Yeah. He's got the big awesome. wide lens and he's paying attention. And when when the gun goes off, only one bird falls and the other ones fly away. Well, my dog is gonna choose the one that fell because he knows that's his bird, right? Sure. Or her bird, depending on you know the gender of the dog that you've got. So I, I see benefits to both. Yeah, okay. Now Let's go steady, wing, shot, fall, head tap. Sure. This is master hunter style. Yep. Not applicable so much in hunting, in my opinion. I don't want to walk all the way back to my dog sure. in a wild bird to scenario release. to tap his head. Now, if I want to show off and I want to show you know how, how much of a man I am and how great of a trainer I am, and my friends have been talking shit at the campfire about my dog the night before... <laughs> I'm going steady, wing shot, fall, head tap, release to heel, you know, retrieve sure. to heel. We could put on that show, but that to me is not functional hunting wild birds and not necessary. Gotcha. And I'll end it with this. The dogs that I see that are heavy field trial dogs, that are heavy NAVDA, UFDA, AKC, sure. NASTRA, they are piss poor wild bird dogs. Hmm. They spend all year long working on this idea of perfection, steady wing shot fall, sure. honoring, honoring honoring another dog's retrieve after being steady wing shot fall. They train on pin raised birds so much, they, they, they can crowd these birds. They can get five or six feet from the scent cone every time in these field trials and every time in these hunt tests that then you go bring this ribboned master hunter title dog out into a wild bird situation of Colorado on sharp tail grouse September 1st, my non-junior hunted one-year-old cocker will outwork your master hunter on wild birds. And that is simply because of what I just said. When you work liberated birds, you get to crowd that scent cone. You get a nose full every time. Those birds don't go anywhere. So, They're dizzy. So are those, do are those dogs, you're saying they're not... Um they're not picking up that scent until they're closer to it. With a wild bird, they might be heavy. They will yards. pick up the scent oftentimes on a wild bird, but they crowd, 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 creep, 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 creep. I still don't have a full scent cone. Oh, give me more, give gotcha. me more, give me more. And then by the time they get that nose full that they're used to in a ribboned event, they're too close to a wild bird and wild bird bus. Okay. Now, I, I, this is not all dogs. Sure. And I, there's a plenty of master hunter dogs that would make my non-title dogs probably look dumb on wild <laughs> birds. Um, but I accept that challenge. Sure. Meet me on some wild birds and let me show you the difference in a dog that's trained to wild bird hunt and a dog that's trained for a title for a piece of paper and $1,500 more for a puppy because you have an MH in front of the name, right? Sure. Um, I train for master hunter and senior and, and, and all of that yeah. stuff um, upon request. Anthony Farrow, Fetching Feathers, is a kennel for meat hunters, for guys sure. who enjoy getting away from the grind, getting out with their best buddies, making campfire stories, and grilling wild birds yeah. on their tailgate. Yeah. That's what I train for. You got me really excited for September. Dude, let's <laughs> flipping go. I'm really excited. That's what I, that's what I want to train for. And, and, and awesome. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it was... Going into my third year um, training at this facility, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having to identify what I want my program to look like. This yeah. idea of like, I want all my dogs to release at shot, not at wing. My, my, my program standards, right? 
And it's impossible not to compare yourself to your competition, whether that be competition just because you know of it or things that you see on social media. So it's this idea, again, of trying to keep up with the Joneses and making sure that you're fit in this niche because you want to be attractive because you're a business owner and you want to get people to you, right? (laughs) Right. How do you do that? What I've learned is being myself is how I do everything. Mm -hmm. And and training, again, there's no wrong way. It's just the way that I like to do it. I don't like field trials and the environment and the politics that are played and the way that people snicker on their tailgates as people walk by. I'm not into hunting for ribbons, as Mr. Kenny Powers of Eastbound and Down would say. Okay. I'm not trying to be the best at practice. I, I, I'm not trying to be the it's best about, at practice. It's about the game time. I'm trying to be the best at hunting wild birds. Sure. I'm trying to create dogs that are at the best at hunting wild birds. And so for me, I have comfortably backed away from this idea of trying to keep up with other kennels. Sure. I hear at my kennel train yeah, that, for people that's your who want yeah. your, your goal. Your I'm here to hunt meat. Is. I'm here for you to put meat in the freezer and stories to tell over campfires. Sure. And that, that's my goal at yeah, my kennel. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So so we talked about your kennel a little bit. Let, let's get into, um, I know there's a lot of variables in play. Take us through like a standard, say, 90-day, 60-day program. Um, someone brings in a pointing dog, let's just say a GSP, kind of a neutral, neutral dog. Like, what are... What are some of the steps in the the process? Walk us through the process. Like, well, how are you going to walk that dog um, from day one yeah. to the last yeah. day that the owner picks up? Yeah, sure. So the, the the very first thing that we do at my kennel is recall to tone, collar conditioning to recall. Okay. okay? Uh, number one, you don't know me. I'm I'm just some random stranger at this point. You just got dropped off, and I've got to create this number one, this balance and this respect between you and I, and I also have to make sure that you don't run off to the next county because I live in the middle of nowhere, right? So, I mean, I have a t- dog take off quick. I need to make sure that I can control you in the field so that I can do my social runs with other dogs and I can air you out and we can go hunt birds on my 80 acres and train and you're not gonna take off on me. So the very first thing every dog learns at my kennel is recall to tone. And this is very simple. This is the neuropathways. This is the association. This is how we learn to turn pressure off. Dog goes out, casts at 50 yards. And I start toning the collar. Beep, 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 beep. Dog stops and kind of looks. What the hell is that, right? Beep, 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 here. Beep, 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 here. And this is when we add in collar pressure. So beep, 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 shock, shock. Beep, 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 shock, shock. Beep, 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 shock, shock. As soon as that dog comes my direction, the beeping and the shock stop. Oh, both stop. Okay. Both stop immediately. Immediately. As soon as that dog comes my direction. Even if he's yards out. As soon as he comes my direction, we stop. And let's say we're recalling at 50 yards and he gets to 30 and he varies off to the right. I'm going to pick tone back up mm. first because tone is the association just like the bark collar. Sure. If you don't come to me at tone, pressure is going to follow that. Beep, 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 shock, shock. Beep, 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 shock, okay. shock. Dog comes to me. Good. Here, here. That dog gets to me and I'm going to say here five, six times and pet that dog. Okay. Good. Here. That's here. Good boy. Here, gotcha. here. Dog's going to cast out again and I'm going to do it again. Beep, 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 beep. Shock, shock. Same deal. That dog hears beep, and the next thing that dog knows is continuous tone, pop, 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 or on a whistle, pop, 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 means I need to recall. Okay? So we create this association of tone means recall. Now, there's two steps to this. Two tones or two whistles is a quarter. I'm hunting north. You're about 40 yards east, and I just need you to quarter out in front. Okay? I don't want you to come to me. I just need you to get out in front of me. Pop, pop. You're going to come out front quarter. Pop, pop, quarter. Pop, pop, quarter, right? Full recall is multiple tones, multiple beeps. Very first thing that they learn, and I do that three mornings, three evenings in a row. Just recall. Just get out of the kennel. Learn kennel up. Learn in and out of the kennel. Bringing back to your run. Going out for a run. Being able to recall and be biddable. 
The next thing that all these dogs learn that parallels is when we take these dogs out of the kennel is a command that I use called wait. We learn door manners. Oh. Just because a door opens isn't an open invite for you to barrel out. Front door, back door, kennel door, dog box, truck door, okay. wait. We also use wait for when we put their food bowls down in their kennel. They have to sit on their dog beds and wait. They release by their name, okay. Odin, Otis, Miley. Everybody has to sit, they wait, they get a head tap, they get to eat their food. Okay. So in order to get out of the kennel, in order to achieve the reward, in order to run free, you have to give me an offered behavior that I desire. So the offered behavior that I desire is that when I open that kennel door and I tell you, wait, you need to sit down. Once you sit, that's the first step. Now you get your e-collar on. But just because I put the e-collar on and I zip it up, Still that's not an open invite. Boom, collar's on, I'm out. Absolutely not. Sure. So I'm going to tell you, wait again. I'm going to open that kennel door all the way up. I step back two or three steps so there's space in between the dog and I, trying to get them to want to come out, sure. right? Pushing to failure because if we don't push to failure and I don't make a correction, I'm not training. So I create a gap. I entice them. Sure. Look at how wide open it, it is. Bring tempting. your ass out here. <laughs> and then they come out and I'm like, ah, 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 wait. Wait as soon as they sit down. And I'm, this is the beginning, right? First week. As soon as they sit down on wait, I move out of the way and they get to come out. Hmm. Instantaneous, just like the collar pressure. As soon as you come back to me, the beeping oh, stops. Okay. As soon as you sit down, let's go. Okay. And then they're like, oh, okay. So all I gotta do is sit down when the door opens, he's gonna put the collar on, and then I get to go. Oh, nice. So we're creating this association sure. again of there's this routine. Number one, I sit down to get my collar on. Number two, after my collar's on, he's gonna step away, he's gonna give me my time. If I sit like a good boy or a good girl, I get to go play. Gotcha. So recall the tone and wait are the very first two things that these dogs learn. And then we go into all our bird work. Positive pigeon, pigeons out of hand. Um, so they're doing a little bit of sight pointing and smell, easy bird association sure. for new dogs, and, and younger dogs. So for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's that you're holding a pigeon mm -hmm. and you are getting them to stop. Mm -hmm. Once they stop, bird, you, let's go. Bird, See, let's here go. we are. Here we are again. Yep. How do we achieve the reward? And again, it's timing. And you just said it. As soon as the dog sure. stops, well, we I saw let the a little go. video clip you posted yep. uh, today. It was, you were doing this, yep. and it was instantaneously that dog stopped I think it was a Brittany or a GSP I forget and that bird was gone that's how we do it we create that association and the great thing about positive pigeon is that you know you have a lot of dogs that will see a covey of running quail and they see it and they go take it out when I start dogs on a visual they're going to go back to their mind and say how did I achieve this uh, flush stop when I see these birds I'm supposed to stop gotcha sometimes we do have a visual on birds sure. it's not always a, it's not always a scent point sometimes it is a sight yeah so these dogs learn immediately sighted or smelled, I hold my bird, oh, the same thing. and my dad is going to come out in front and knock the hammer down for me, right? We're creating the association. Sure. I hold, he gets in front, birds get up, he shoots, hopefully he hits, I get the retrieve. So we create that association with positive pigeon. Nice. Um, young dogs um, that don't have any, any experience with birds, we don't use the DT bird launchers that have the loud springs. Oh. We start with foot traps. Sure. Uh, we want to make things localized, right? It's this idea of microeconomics or macroeconomics forget the economics part let's look micro and macro we're going to make things so small so small and in front of you micro at the beginning because i need you just to focus and create association birds live on the ground and they get up and they fly and these sort of things i don't want to i don't want to start with birds get on the ground and this big black thing and this trap bang loud explosion i don't want that to be your association when we start with birds so sure. we're going to baby step them into it um, obviously, cap gunfire starts once chase happens through all that stuff. And, you know, we work our way in my 90 day program, which is my most popular. Um, these are the type of things that you're going to get. It's a six day week program. 
Okay, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays are conditioning and obedience. Um, I'm one of the few kennels that I know of in the entire United States that has a true conditioning program. Mm. I don't just run the dogs and air them out and say that they got exercise. Sure. Um, I actually monitor the amount of miles that I put on them every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Oh, nice. And every dog has to do a minimum of five miles before we do obedience work. Okay. So we start our days, uh, I have, you know, out here on my property, I have a two track, and one lap around my two track is 1.1 mile. So they all learn to run in front of a four-wheeler, in front of a side-by-side Polaris Ranger, or in front of a truck. Mm. We rode them. That's really good. We make all those laps. A minimum of five laps a dog. We start with five miles a day. From there, they all go on the chain gang while they cool off. I'm running other dogs. And then from the chain gang, we take all the dogs out individually. And this is when we work on place training. This is walk to heel, stop to heel, sit to heel, and retrieve to heel days. Okay, so all obedience. Place, 100% heel with and without a lead. Um, and then retrieving work to hand and to heal and all of those type of things. Okay. And then Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays are all bird work, field work, uh, steadiness, woe drills. So you're, so you're breaking work. those days up. So you, those two, those first few days you mentioned are all just obedience. Three days obedience, three days okay. field work. Monday, nice. Wednesday, Friday obedience. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday field work. Every other day. Okay. Every other day. So we're we're hitting something and then going back to it, giving them a day break, letting them ponder on it, think about it, marinate if you will. <laughs> bring it back out, let them do it again, find out how we're progressing, what dog needs more. This dog is absolutely crushing place, but is struggling big time with heel. This next Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm gonna do a little bit less place and a whole lot more heel to make sure that these two things are growing together. You're still looking at every dog, like all right. They're an individual, I have a program, but every dog is individual based. Not every dog learns the same way. We've got six-year-olds that are dribbling with both hands, and we have six-year-olds that are dribbling with one hand and staring at the floor while they do it. Everybody is on a different talent. Everybody has different genetics. Everybody excels at different things. I've got some dogs that are natural retrievers out of the gate and can't point for Jack. Okay. Everyone's got their strength and weakness, yeah. So I've got to create a program that while, okay, you're going to finish me killing the bird and retrieving, you got that, sure. I need to work on the front end. Yeah. We're going to do a little bit less retrieves this work, well, and I, we're going to do a little like, bit more nose like and yours. I like that because, I mean, I don't know about your dogs, my dogs, a lot of people's dogs are not just hunting dogs, and we, we all want badass hunting dogs. Yeah. But a lot of these dogs are living in our house, so a lot of these things like weight or place, things like that. Gotta have it. I was gonna ask you about place. Is that is that a, just built into your program, or is that a upon request kind of thing? Because I see you working a lot on every place. every dog, every dog. So if you sign up for my bird dog program, you sign up for the obedience program too. It's not an option. You don't say, ah, you know what? Forget the obedience. Do six days a week of bird work. No, that's that's not how this works. And what I understand is that a biddable dog at obedience is a biddable dog out in the field, out in the open. So this micro and macro. If I can get you to be obedient in the micro, at heel, micro, close, at place, micro, very intimate training, a lot of hands-on, close, a lot of speaking and interaction, then I know that in a macro situation, in half a million acres of BLM, and you can go anywhere, I know that you're going to be biddable because I was able to make you biddable close. Now I know that you're going to work for me at a distance, right? Sure. So my my obedience program is built into my gun dog program. And That's again, awesome. you just nailed it. I, I, I would be willing to bet that I hunt as much or more than anybody that we're going to talk to or affiliate with in the Upland community. You know, last year I did 82 days in the field last year. I'm fortunate that I get to hunt that much because this is my career. So that's why I'm in the field is that much. But what I'm getting at is that you're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody that hunts as much as folks like I do do. But let's be honest. Hunting season is three months long. 
So I don't care how badass of a bird dog you have. He got to be a badass for three months. What the hell was he for the other nine? Are you that guy? Here, hey, here, let's go. Load up, come on, here, Rex, let's go, come on. Well, number one, you just said, Rex, here, come on, and let's go. All for the same command. So let's streamline some of these things, right? Everything is one word, and that's a big part of, of my program is it's all one word. So you're going to get six days a week of work, three days obedience, three days field work, and that's going to translate across the board whether you're at home during the off-season or you're on the road kicking dirt and pounding birds. Sure. Um, I, I don't care how much of a badass you are, you only get to hunt three or four months a year over your dog. Sure. And most people don't kennel their dogs in an outdoor kennel. It's a family member. And it sleeps inside and on the couch with us on Sundays and hops up. Listen, I live in a travel trailer, for God's sake, and I own four dogs that sleep in my home with me at night. I, see, I, see your I got a dog bed the size of my living room floor, it's, it's bro. It's bigger than my kid's bed. I'm telling you, it is. Thank you, girlfriend. I love you for that dog bed. Um, and the boys appreciate the dog bed you got them too. But, um, you know, I, I train dogs for a living. I live on 80 acres. I've got nine horses. I do all of the man country stuff my dogs get to get in bed with me every night before i go to sleep they don't get to sleep in bed with me but we do an hour or whatever if i get in i read the bible i do my daily devotional i'm catching up with a girlfriend i'm watching a tv show we do a family wind down time everybody get up in bed for a half hour get your sleep and then when it's bedtime lights out everybody either goes to the kennel under the bed or sleeps on the dog bed out here in the living room yeah, that's awesome. um, it is imperative that we create a house dog and a bird dog combined because of the way hunting season works. Love it. Okay, uh, we're wrapping up here. I got two questions in the rapid fire section. Sure. So two questions. Uh, we got to talk about this. When I, when I sit down with a trainer like you, I, I got to know, um, what's some advice you would give someone who's got, got their first bird dog? Like what's the biggest mistake you see? And that, maybe not mistake, that's, maybe it's too harsh, but just like what's something that's really hard for you as a trainer that you see consistently mm -hmm. in these bird dogs that yeah. you're like, hey, if you have a dog, before you send it to me, don't do X. Yeah. What would that be? <laughs> So there's this idea of you can push, uh, you can pull a leash in, you can't push a leash out. So a lot of people live in the suburbs, in the city, and there's cars, and danger, and roads, and dog parks, and rules, and fences. And so when people get these puppies, um, it's they're constantly calling their dog. Let's say the dog's name is, for the sake of the conversation, we'll just go with Rex again. I got a Rex Brittany that I've been training a lot lately. Rex here, Rex over here, Rex leave it. Come on Rex, let's go. So we create this yo-yo effect, what I refer to in dogs. The dog goes out 20 yards, immediately comes straight back to you. The dog goes out 10 yards, immediately comes back to you. We're creating a yo-yo by not letting a puppy be a puppy. Explore. So if you're on a walk at Chatfield Reservoir and it's a dog park and your dog lags behind you, shut up. You can see your dog. It doesn't have to be next to you and it doesn't have to be in front of you. And if that dog does go 80 yards in front of you, again, all due respect, just shut up. We, we talk to these dogs so much that we're taking the run out. So let's get back to the, you can pull a leash in, you can't push a leash out. You can pull a leash in, which is recall to tone, right? I call or condition your dog to recall. I can recall your dog at 400 yards with tones and shocks because I taught it. So that's the, I can pull a leash in. You know what I can't do? I can't force a dog to go hunt at 100 yards. How do we get our dog to range? And then people are going to listen to this and say, oh, that doesn't work. Not applicable to me. I hunt roosters and I need my dog at 30 yards. This guy's an idiot. Sounds great. I like that idea. I understand. Sure. But it is just not. It, it's a, If you wanted a 30-yard dog, buy a flusher. Sure. Okay? If, if I've got 10,000 acres of BLM and my dog stays 20 yards in front of me, 
you know how many bird contacts I'm going to miss out on? Loads. Because my dog is hunting the line that I am. Yeah. The point of having you a pointer. The, you could find the bird around yourself. I was going to kick that bird up 20 yards in front of me. I didn't need you to do it. What do I need a dog for, right? If I buy a pointer, I want my bird to go point me birds, right? I, I'm not leading my dog to point. I want You're supposed to go find it for me, and I'm going to catch I'll up. I'll come to you. Which is why Garmin and uh, everybody else has come out with GPS collars is to allow our dogs to mm-hmm. go find us birds and us still know where the dog is and hunt comfortably, right? Sure. The number one advice I can give you guys is stop talking to your dog so much. <laughs> That's so so dang good. Because the dog gets so here good. and then it's stuck to me yeah. and it just walks in front of me and I'm tripping over it the whole time I'm training it. And so then I'm like, okay, well now I've got to create drive. So now I'm gonna pair this dog that's a 30 yard dog with my big running dogs and hopefully it wants to get social. And then my big running dogs are gonna cast out on my property at 100 yards and I'm gonna shut up and I'm gonna let that young dog go, right? Adversely, I don't want you to say, come on, let's go, hunt him up, go find your bird. You're again, you're talking to that dog, which means that dog is having to cue in on its owner. Well, what is it telling me to do right now? Dogs don't know English. They know commands. And we want them to think for themselves in that, in that 100%. scenario. You, want, you don't want to have to be talking to your dog when you're out in the hundred percent Montana. Let's not have to worry about pushing our dog out. The way that we do that is we create independence at the beginning. So when you go to the dog park that's fenced in, just shut up. Just let that dog go be a dog. And if you got to be that dog owner that's chasing your dog down at the dog park for a couple of months, let that young dog go and be that guy. We're going to teach that dog how to come back with appropriate association with tones and recalls and whistles and things of that nature. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is is how we create that independence. Um, and I actually had a Brittany here this morning that's seven months old, and this dog is doing exactly this. Mm. So this is really applicable right okay. now, and I just had this conversation. And I asked the question because I knew the answer. Where's this dog sleeping at night? In bed with me. Mm. What does this dog get to do when you're not home? Free range of the house. Okay, so we haven't created independence with this sure. dog at all. And I said, well, what do you do when the dog eat when you're eating dinner? Oh, she just hangs out around the house. Okay, well, most people eat dinner in a half hour or less. What an awesome opportunity to put the dog in a dog crate and create some independence and some distance yeah. from you and that young dog for a half hour while you have supper. So we have to create independence in these young dogs and allow them to go be a bit cantankerous at the beginning because you cannot teach a dog to run if you take it out of them. And you can, and again, that's what I do. I, sure. I get it it's with a big running dog. You're saying it's very hard to. It is the biggest. It, to answer your question, the thing that I hate seeing is when people yeah. bring me their dogs. Is the dog is overstimulated? It's over talked to. It's overhandled. Hmm. At which point, I'm having to digress and shut up and just teach that dog. Like, dude, look at this open field. Go. Yeah, just go. Go we get you, it. We want you. To so run. that's the nice thing about having you know pigeons, and I can bring a pigeon bag out for a dog that wants to work close. And I'm just throwing mm-hmm. pigeons out of the bag, trying to create chase and distance between me and that dog, right? Yeah. So that's that's the number one thing that I could give anybody that's with a good. new dog. Just don't talk to your dog so much in moments that you don't have to. Less talking. When we're in the street, in the neighborhood, cars, in those environments, we've got to protect our dogs. Sure. In the moments that you're hiking and doing a 14er or whatever it is that you're doing, and I know that you're supposed to keep dogs on leashes at 14ers. I don't. <laughs> um, go be a dog. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Similar piece of advice. Uh, We didn't really talk about hunting a whole lot, but um, I do have a lot of new hunters that are listening to this. They're maybe going into their first season. Like what's some advice you you give someone like who's excited, they got their dog, maybe the dog's trained, maybe it's not. Like just what's something you would tell someone going into their first season coming up here? Man, great question. Um, Don't shoot birds that aren't pointed. Hmm. If you want a steady dog, if you want a dog like the ones that you scroll through Instagram 
that gave you the push to buy the bird dog. Man, look at that dog. I want one like that. Damn, look at how steady that dog is. That dog didn't get that way because you were shooting every bird that got up. If you're walking and the human bumps a bird and that dog sees it, do not shoot it. If you're walking and that dog goes on point and you try to get close to flush that bird and that dog flushes that bird before you shoot, do not pull the trigger on birds that are not handled correctly. If you want a dog that flushes, shoot them up. But if your goal is to shoot birds over a point, your first season, sacrifice birds in the bag for appropriate first interactions could be the best advice. Do not shoot birds that aren't handled correctly. Okay, love it. Okay, rapid fire section. I wrap Let's up get every it. episode. Here we go. If you need to expand on any of these, you can, but these are going to be some tough I'll make ones. them short answers. <laughs> right. I'll try. I know I'm long-winded. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, favorite, okay, so now you have a lot of dogs. <laughs> favorite, <laughs> well, you only have two breeds, GSPs and Cocker. Okay. Personals, yeah. Okay, favorite dog breed besides those two? English Pointer. All right. Hands down. Will you ever get one? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. They are English pointers are higher octane German short hairs. Okay. Love it. I'm about that, that action. That, that seems like a strong statement. I'm about, I'm about that action. <laughs> that seems like a very strong statement. Yeah. All right. Um, but but uh, let's see here. Uh, just in your opinion, easiest breed to tra- to train. Again, I know it's so unique and individual, but generally. Generally, the easiest dog to train is a German short hair, in my opinion. They're the most common. They have high drive, but they also want to please. Um, And they're tough, so they can handle pressure. They can handle training pressure. They can handle setbacks. They can handle collar pressure, so they don't shut down. Um, Like a lot of like the bearded breeds are pretty soft. Setters are pretty soft, oftentimes. Uh, Vishlas are the softest of soft. Vishlas are the softest of soft dogs in the softest dog world of soft dogs. <laughs> that is on record. That oh is on, my that gosh, is on man! Um, I just got done with a Vishla six months, three last year and three months this year. And man, this girl's got all the talent in the world. But if you look at her crooked, she just can't handle the pressure. They're very, very soft. And I'll tell you right now, yeah. in the three years of me running, owning this kennel here. Five of the seven dogs that I had to break of gun shy were vicheless. Okay. Inher- I've heard that's in- very soft. common. Yeah. Okay. Advice to those owners who own vicheless, is that just be gentler with them? Or is, is, is that just... A lot more patience and reps opposed to pressure and stimulation. Okay. Gotcha. Be patient. Your favorite bird species to hunt? Two. Sun. Come on. Oh, swah. I told you this would be tough. Uh, sharp tail grouse. Love it. Same. Uh, what gun are you carrying into the uplands this season? CZ side-by-side, 16-gauge, the sharp tail. All right. Love it. Never shot a side-by-side. Well, after this, we'll go down the baggage. <laughs> there you go. Uh, a couple more. Why an English cocker? Just real quick. Why an English cocker? His dad. Okay. Samson was the baddest dog I ever owned. Ever, I mean, really? dude, Mighty Samson. Small wow. and mighty. That's a big statement. Oh, yeah. Okay. They don't play. Get you a cocker, y'all. Beverage of choice after a hunt. Glenlivet 12-year. What is that even? Uh, <laughs> I got a bottle. Um, like Glenlivet and Glen Fittich, um, it's uh, they're, they're blends. Um, it's a, you know, I, I lean more towards the scotch side of life as I've gotten older. I used to be a big bourbon guy, um, but I just like the way scotch finishes on okay. the end. But Glenlivet's just a softer. I softer learned, I learned something new today. I got a well, bottle of it in the cabinet. Okay, this is the last one. This is this you can go a little bit longer on. Uh, what What's the hardest, but also what's the most rewarding thing about running a kennel? Uh, the hardest is the sacrifice. Um, I'm absent a lot. I'm absent for my, my girlfriend's friend's birthday, 
or you know weddings that I can't make because I have 18 beating hearts and stomachs that need to be fed and you know bodies that need to be checked. Um, the the hours, it's all sacrifice. Every every bit of what I do, quite honestly, is I just feel like I I sacrifice my time and my energy and my efforts with everybody else but the dogs. Uh, that's by far the hardest. I'm, I'm I'm in the kennel by 5 a.m. every morning, and I do my last kennel check at 9 p.m. every night. Um, so for those of you that aren't very good at math, 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. is 12 hours, and we add another four. I'm averaging 16-hour days right now. And with our fancy Garmin watches, I average like 28,000 steps a day. Um, so it's physically demanding, mentally demanding, and I sacrifice my entire social life to, to chase this passion. Uh, the most rewarding, I think, is the obvious, or that, that, that I would think would be the obvious for most people. And that's finishing dogs and sending dogs to families and seeing the look on their faces when they pick their dog up at the end of 90 days. And um, I'm, I'm gonna get real deep on you real quick, but for me, what I think about when I send the dog home is when they have all their family together for their Christmas or Thanksgiving hunt, dad, grandpa, son, three generations of family, and they triple, three birds get up, four birds, five birds, and everybody knocks one down over that dog that pointed. When they're sitting there at Thanksgiving or at Christmas telling that story that night, they don't mention the dog trainer. They don't mention how that dog got steady to hold at 80 yards in front of them, 120 yard point in front of them, took two minutes to get there because the grandson was walking in knee high brush and couldn't get there. The, the double up of father and son together, those moments that people cherish that they tell to their friends was indirectly because of the work and the passion that I put into that dog before that. And that to me is the ultimate reward is the stories that I don't get to hear and the stories that I'm not mentioned in. Um, it's like the unsung hero. I, I was in the background, I did all the work and took none of the credit. Mm. And that to me is the most gratifying feeling is seeing some a client post a picture during hunting season and read the caption of elation and I wasn't mentioned that one time. Sure. The most rewarding is when I'm not mentioned and recognized mm. I did my job. Sure. And the dog did its job and it retained what I taught it. And that means that that work that that individual did and saved and sacrificed that money to pay for that training didn't, didn't, didn't go unspoken and unnoticed. Sure. And that the time that they spent away from their dog and missing their dog and the nights that, now, now think about this, let's go even deeper. In three months, can you imagine the hiccups that happen in three months in life that, that maybe you might cry about or that you could really use your dog next to you in that moment? Sure. And they're sacrificing that dog licking their face when they're crying in their bedroom because something bad happened. Sure. And that dog's with me getting trained, right? It's a sacrifice. Yeah. The, the client is sacrificing yeah. as much as I am. They're sacrificing the money that they're working for. When they probably could get a new AC or a new tire for their vehicle or their kid could get some new baseball shoes. Instead, they spent that money with me. It's a sacrifice sure. for all of us and, and to not get recognized for it because I shouldn't. I, 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 nobody said, oh, well, you know, couldn't have done it without my dog trainer. It's not supposed to be that way and that's the way I want it. I want to read the caption. I want to see the smile on the faces. I want to see a guy shaking his son because his son shot his first upland bird this season over that dog that I trained. Man, those are the moments worth living for me. 
I love that. You got me fired up. Come man. on. You got me fired up. <laughs> I can feel it. The truth, man. I can feel the passion. We're seven, uh, 68 days away from the sharp tail opener. Oh, that close now? Uh-huh. Dang. All right, yeah. here we go. Uh-huh. Uh, what's the first state you're hitting? Uh, Colorado. Open All right. every year. Colorado. Yeah. Are there sharp, sharp tail grouse in Colorado? A boatload. Really? Um, I shot the trifecta on public land in Colorado here. That's I shot a right. limit of sharpies, sage, and blue grouse all in the oh, same shit. field. Okay. In the same day. I didn't know we had sharpies still. Yeah. Northwest. Okay. okay. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. I'm yes, going to try Colorado sage grouse this year. Okay. Pretty excited. We Let's struck see. out last year. Okay. I heard a lot of gunshots, but it sure oh. shit wasn't from my group. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's your shots. We so. struck out last yeah, so year. Was someone at a trap range. Uh, or you know, just a few. I mean, you can go three hours north into Wyoming and hunt some of the best sage grouse you ever hunt from where and we Wyoming's are. Wyoming's not that far, dude. Three hours from Denver, it's, and you're in some of the best sage grouse country in the Northwest. Because yeah. I drove five hours last year to get up to Nebraska for sharp tail, and so that's. I mean, if I want to hit sage. Not bad. I got a couple of pins for you. Okay, nice. We'll, nice. Get, you, we'll, get, that, we'll get that Onyx. Onyx plug. On, plug in Onyx. Go. Come on, Onyx. All right, Anthony, well, thank you so much for your time. I know you got a, a boatload uh, crazy day here, but thanks for sitting down. I uh, really enjoyed hearing your passion. It is evident. Um, I, you know, you can't ignore that. So, yeah, really, thank you for Pleasure. sharing, sharing All, your Always looking forward to sharing my passion and talking positive about people in the industry and dogs and training. Um, and most of all, I'm going to end it with this, man. None of this happens without God, and I'm going to stand by that. Um, it's what I do. It's who I am. It's what my program's based on. Um, I start in my days the same every way. I pray. I wake up, and I say, thank you for this day, and get me through it. And at the end of the day, I say, thank you for getting me through the day, and hopefully I wake up and get to do it again tomorrow. So uh, we all have a passion, and we all have a purpose, and mine is to uh, train gun dogs and glorify God. And that's fetching feathers, man. Love it. We'll, we'll end on that. Yep. Thank you. Yep. All right, rookies, that is it for episode 15 with Anthony Farrow of Fetching Feathers the Kennel. Uh, Anthony, thanks again for your time, brother. Really appreciated getting to know you a little bit more. Uh, good luck with uh, everything you got going on over at the kennel there. Hey guys, uh, don't forget the Dakota 283 giveaway. Uh, this is the last time you're going to hear me uh, talk about this giveaway. It is closing on July 30th, 2021. Uh, you will not be able to get entries in after that date. So go to the social media post uh, at the Upland Rookie Podcast Instagram and uh, follow the instructions there. Get entered. Share the post. Tag a couple friends. Uh, you'll be entered. Uh, your name's going in the hat. I'm jumbling everything up, drawing a name. Uh, one winner is going to be walking away with this uh, amazing prize pack from Dakota 283. Uh yeah, I think that's it. Get entered. Bonus entries. You guys have heard me say it. Write your Upland story. Uh, message it to me. Uh, email it to me at uh, uplandbrits at gmail.com. Uh, that's five extra bonus entries. Uh, leave a Apple uh, rating and review and you screenshot. Very important. You have to screenshot your uh, your your uh, review uh, to me, and that's an extra two entries. So, a couple fun ways for you to get extra entries, get your name in the hat, uh, a whole bunch more. Uh, so, get that done before the thirtieth, and uh, we'll be announcing the winner here on the podcast the first Tuesday in August. Guys, thanks so much. And if you are not lucky enough to hunt with or own a Brittany, any bird dog is better than no bird dog. Go put some miles on those boots behind your favorite bird dog. Take care.